welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm excited to be joined by Araceli Almazan, Senior Associate Attorney at Alvarez, Glasman & Colvin. Prior to joining this law firm, Araceli represented employers in various areas of employment, including wrongful termination, discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. In addition, she serves as general counsel on the UCLA Alumni Association Board of Directors. Araceli graduated from UCLA in 2004 with a degree in political science and then went on to earn her JD from the University of California Davis School of Law. Araceli, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join us today. Thank you for having me. So to start us off, um, can you tell us a little bit about what a day in the life looks like as senior associate attorney? And then kind of on that same vein, can you describe in layman's terms what types of cases you generally work on? Sure, definitely. So as a municipal law attorney, I work for a law firm that represents cities. So we represent cities, elected officials, and every branch of the city. Now, the great thing about my position is that we get cases that run the gamut from, you know, personal injury cases, employment law cases, um, water rights cases, just about any possible issue that involves the city. Um, now, in that capacity, I when I was initially hired, I was hired on as a litigation attorney, 100% litigation. So. I started off, you know, handling cases from beginning to end. So what that looks like is the second a complaint is filed and it lands on my desk, you know, we need to figure out, you know, can we challenge uh, this complaint on its face? And if so, what are the next steps? Um, if we cannot in the preliminary stages of the litigation, then we prepare the case. And what that means is, you know, um, propounding and responding to written discovery, identifying key witnesses, uh, subpoenaing uh, medical records, evaluating those records, determining whether um, an independent medical examination is warranted because we're the defense, right? So all our cases are cases that are filed by residents who reside in that respective city or even former employees. And we are on the defense always. So we evaluate cases from that perspective. So as I mentioned, when I started, I started as you know, practicing 100% litigation. And then slowly I transitioned over to the transactional side. So right now I would say that the breakdown is probably, I don't know, maybe 20, 25% transactional and then the remaining is litigation. So what does transactional law mean as it pertains to my position at this firm? Well, transactional law attorneys uh, provide advice to not only um, city council members, but also to directors of different departments with regard to any issue that may arise. So, you know, we draft memos and we work with them. We sit in in meetings if discussions are being had with, you know, consultants, uh, city staff, and we provide guidance as to things that they may have questions about. As a transactional attorney, you also um, get to 
uh, attend city council meetings. And, you know, you sit there and if any question arises, like if a city council member has a question about a vote or how to proceed with regard to something that's coming up the pipeline, they'll look at to you to answer that question to make sure that they that whatever decision is is taken is is lawful. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I, I love my job. I really do. I think it's a great uh, it's a it's a hybrid of what I studied. So um, and I'm sure we'll touch on this um, shortly. But I have a uh, a JD and two master's degrees. And one master's is in public policy. The other one is in management. They're both MPAs. But I always had uh, a passion for government, for law, for politics. And I was very lucky to have uh, come across this law firm and I applied for a position, I was hired. And I can honestly say that every day when I go to work, I genuinely love what I do. Um, I think somehow the stars aligned and, and, and my day-to-day -day work is very, very in sync with my, with my passion. So I'm very, very grateful and very uh, lucky, quite frankly, to be in this position. Oh, that's wonderful. That I feel like that doesn't always happen or it's, you know, like it takes a while sometimes to get to that position where you feel like everything's aligning in the way it, it should or that it feels right for you. So that's really great to hear. I'm also curious too, how has COVID-19 impacted your day to day? Well, you know, I think like a lot of uh, law firms and businesses and just about every sector across the board, you know, we've had to adapt, you know, and this is sort of the reality. Um, and as far as my day to day goes, you know, before I was always in the office, um, you know, there's flexibility at my job. I think there are attorneys that work for still work from home a couple of days a week. And that was more so based on their preference. I'm the type that I prefer to be in the office. I just, I really just prefer it. I feel that, I, I don't know, I just like interacting with people. I'm also a very social person. So it's, you know, it, it's a couple of things that I prefer. Um, but, you know, when this started, I've been working from home and I've adapted uh, just like a lot of people. And, you know, I've actually gotten used to it. Um, luckily, like I said, a lot of my work is, you know, we have access uh, remotely to the network, so it hasn't made things challenging. I think I'm as efficient as I was when I was in the office. It's just, it's been different. So I'm, I, did you always want to, or did you always know you wanted to pursue a career in law? And I'm curious what significant experiences you, ha you had either as a political science student at UCLA or kind of along your career path that really led you to be in the place you are today? You know, I am among those that, I know sometimes people figure it out as they go. And I think that's key for people to realize that you don't have to know from day one what career you wanna pursue, if and whether you want to pursue a graduate degree. I think it's very different for everyone. So I think the first thing I'd like to say is that, especially, you know, students that are just recently graduating, don't be too hard on yourself. You don't have to know from, you know, on day one. Um, I, on the other hand, I knew I wanted to be an attorney the second I stepped foot 
at UCLA as a freshman. As a matter of fact, I decided I want to be an attorney when I was in 11th grade. So I took part in a program that's called uh, the Chicano Latino Youth Leadership Project. So the acronym is CYLP and CLYLP. And I was taking, enrolled in an AP Spanish class in high school. And my AP Spanish teacher just told the class that she said, you know, there's this program. Um, if any of you are interested, you should probably apply. It sounds like a great opportunity. And I applied and it was a four day program that's sponsored. I don't know. I believe it's still in existence. It's, it's uh, sponsored by uh, Sacramento State University. So you uh, stay in the dorms and then they give you a tour of the state capital. And during those four days, the goal of that program is to increase the number of Latino students um, in not, not only in four-year institutions, but also in graduate school. So during those four days, they just had people show up, graduate students or professionals who said, hey, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a JD, I'm an attorney, I'm a nurse, you know, so you just heard from people. And I remember hearing them speak and then taking a tour of the state capitol. And back then, I want to say uh, this was, geez, probably 1998, because I graduated from high school in 99. Uh, I remember them saying, you know, 80% or 90% of uh, legislators in the state capitol in the Senate and in the Assembly have a JD. I, I'm sure that that figure has changed since then, but back then um, that, that statistic really stood out. So in my mind, um, I always thought, oh, well, what are the two most challenging degrees I can pursue? My dad from day one wanted me to be an MD. I think like a lot of immigrant parents, right? For him, that was the epitome of success. So he wanted me to go to medical school. I remember I was seven, eight, nine, ten, and that was all he could talk about. He felt he felt go to medical school. That's you know you'll have a good life and that's a great career. But I very quickly found out that chemistry and physics, <laughs> I was okay with physiology, but everything else it just wasn't my thing. So then I said, well, you know, if an MD is off the table, what's the next? What's the next toughest degree I can pursue? So that, you know, just constant uh, <laughs> feedback from my father, coupled with the exposure that I had through this program that, quite frankly, I really believe played a huge role in me deciding uh, to pursue a JD, uh, is what made me realize as an 11th grader, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to be an attorney. So I very vividly remember stepping foot at UCLA and thinking, okay, what do I have to do to be the most competitive applicant um, and, you know, pursue um, a law degree? And I took every possible step to be as competitive as I possibly could. So as a freshman, you know, I got involved with, um, you know, I took, took advantage of all the services that AAP had to offer. I was in Honors Collegium. I took part in the UCDC program. I was also a mentor uh, through EAOP. Um, and I did all these things, not necessarily, not only because I wanted to be as competitive as possible when applying to law school, but because I also wanted to give back, right? So through 
EAOPC BOP, I would go back to high schools. Um, I was a mentor in a couple of high schools in Inglewood and Manual Arts High School. And we would go and talk to students and tell them this is what you need to do to you know, apply and be accepted to a four-year institution. Um, I also, you know, studied abroad. I got involved with the Law Fellows Program. Um, and I did, I mean, I did so many things. I also started an organization called Hermanas Unidas. I was part of the, the you know, first class. And that was another thing. So I think every decision I made was with the end goal of me you know, applying to law school. And after, you know, I applied to law school and got accepted to law school, you know, I, other things happened along the way. But as I mentioned initially, it wasn't all planned. So I think when, you know, young alums, and when I say young, I'm talking about all those that are graduating, you know, this year or recent grads, as well as, you know, alums that have been out of, you know, graduated, let's say, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, you shouldn't be too hard on yourself because things happen. And sometimes you just have to be very open. I always tell people when I, when they ask me for advice, when I mentor people, when I give speeches, I say, the truth be told, my life was not planned. People think that every step of the way I had a plan and I really didn't. I was just very open to opportunities. And even if I didn't know what that experience would be or what it would entail or how I would benefit from it, if I in any way, if it, in, if it piqued my interest in any way, I was always open to that. And what ended up happening is that the second that door opened and I walked through it, guess what? Three other doors opened that I didn't even know existed. And I think especially now, you know, with COVID and everything that's going on, people need to be very flexible. Um, the reality is that if you graduated from UCLA, you are talented, you have what it takes to succeed in life, and you will have the skill set to thrive in life. Um, the issue arises because you're dealing with a lot of students that are type A, that have planned their life out, and that you know they have all these check boxes, but guess what? Sometimes life happens, and COVID is a perfect example of that. You need to be flexible, and you need to, there are ways to sell yourself to the second, third, and fourth employer, because guess what? There's such a thing as transferable skills. So it doesn't matter if you get a job that's not aligned to what you thought you were going to pursue. But guess what? You're going to gain transferable skills in that position. And when you interview for that other job that's more closely aligned to what you with what you want to pursue, you're just going to sell those transferable skills because ultimately it's not about it's more it's about what you can do for that employer right so i think this is a perfect example of you know my life is a perfect example of how you know sometimes things happen sometimes you just you just got to you have to go with the flow you have to be open and you have to maintain that optimism because like i said life isn't you know wrapped with a nice bow and things 
aren't smooth and things aren't easy. So um, I think my life is definitely a perfect example of that. You know, had I not been open, I would not have pursued that degree in Colombia. Um, that in and of itself wasn't smooth sailing. You know, I applied to law school. When I applied to law school, um, I applied to quite a few law schools and only one uh, master's program. And that master's program was in Colombia, was at Colombia. I really, really wanted to uh, pursue that MPA. I wanted to live in New York. Columbia was my second dream school after UCLA. And when I was accepted uh, to uh, the School of International and Public Affairs, I was also accepted to law schools. So during that time I was living in Sacramento, I had taken part in the Senate Fellows Program. And I remember I had to make a call. Do I pursue a law degree or do I pursue this master's degree? And I said, you know what? I really want to pursue. My, my dream has always been a JD. So I called Columbia and I said, um, can I defer my admission? And they said, no, you cannot. We will not. We don't defer admissions. So you either accept our offer, but if you don't, and you decide to apply down the line, there's no guarantee that we'll accept you because the applicant pool changes every year. So we can't predict if the applicant pool is going to be more competitive. So I decided, you know, I pursued the JD, but I always regretted that decision. So I completed my first year of law school. And when I, when I started my second year, I said, I, if I don't pursue this degree at Columbia, I will be on my deathbed one day and I will still regret this. <laughs> and I refused to let that happen. So I applied a second time and I told myself, I said, if I get accepted, I'm going, I'll, I'll figure law school. I, I, I'll figure that out. I will complete that degree, but I'll get back to it. So Columbia accepts me. Then I meet with my uh, academic counselor in law school and I explain the situation. I said, you know, I, I want to pursue this degree can I take a leave of absence? And she said, yes, absolutely. She gave me a leave of absence. I went to Columbia. I completed the first year. And then I told Columbia, I need a leave of absence because I need to finish the third year of law school. And Columbia said, that's fine. We'll give you two years. Um, and I did that because Davis was, UC Davis was very clear that I had to come back within a year. So I come back to UC Davis and had I not moved to New York, had I not pursued that MPA at Columbia, I would have never found out that Columbia has joint degree programs with four institutions um, in the world. The Hertie School of Government in Germany, Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore, Sciences Po in Paris, and then the London School of Economics at, uh, you know, in, in the UK. And that's a perfect example of how pursuing that degree opened a whole nother door um, that I didn't know existed. Wow, that's, a, that's an amazing story. And just like, like you said, showing just the power of being 
open to different things and opportunities. And I think there's so much of even what you shared in, in your answer there. Um, a first, you know, first being, I think so many people listening can relate to the medical school dream and possibility and people, family members, or part of their support system, wanting them to pursue that. And them realizing maybe they're even like, I don't, you know, I'm faint at the sight of blood or it's just, that's never going to be something for me. You know, so many different things that I think, um, end up happening that say, you know what, I don't think the MD is going to be the route for me. Um, and then I think so much of your advice, like you were talking about the transferable skills and that, you know, sometimes you end up in a position or job, like you said that, Hey, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be, or it's not, you know, I wanted to be here and this is here. But like you said, it, it's what what experience can you gain from that? What can you contribute so that you leave there a better person, professional, right? And like you said, you're taking those skills through the next interview that's going to get you even closer to that position that you're like, this is it, you know? So I think that's such great advice. Um, and something else I think you shared um, that just, I think, speaks to even when I was reading your bio, seeing all the different things you're involved in outside of your, your day job. Um, it just hearing what you did, even as a student at UCLA, like as you were, you know, a college student, you were still giving back and serving and, and bettering those around you in other communities. And so that spirit of service, it's just amazing to see you've, you've, you know, like maintained that all the way through this time and are still involved with so many different organizations and boards today. So I think that's really inspiring too. So I know the number of women in the field of law continues to increase year after year. However, I know men still make up a majority represented in legal careers. How do you successfully navigate a male-dominated field? And I think, what advice would you also give to other women out there, um, even outside of law, that are trying to do the same and continuing to you know, advance in their career? You know, I think, I mean, as you mentioned, I think there is an underrepresentation of women and even more so of women of color, right? So the numbers just keep uh, dwindling. You know, is do I regret going to law school and becoming an attorney? Absolutely not. I, I really, really love it. But there are people that will tell you, you know, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I envisioned. Uh, but one thing to to know and one thing I would tell people is that in the law, as is the case in every other sector, there are different areas of law that you can pursue. And there are also different positions um, that you can take. Um, you can be a litigation attorney, for example. That's by its very nature. It's, it's going to be more adversarial. It's It's just a fact, the fact of the matter. It's going to be more adversarial. But there are other positions where you can be a consultant, where you can run, be the executive director of a nonprofit, or you can be a transactional attorney and, you know, review contracts in the entertainment sector, for example. So you're still, you know, you're still a full-fledged attorney, um, but you're in a different, doing so in a different uh, capacity. Now, how have I dealt with as a woman, right? How have I dealt with, um, you know, being in a very male dominated environment? To be honest, I think it has a lot to do with my personality. I, I am able to thrive 
in those environments. I don't think I'm intimidated by those environments at all. But I think that's just how I'm wired, right? I'm, I'm competitive by nature. I have no problem, you know, being adversarial, I guess, if need be, if need be, if I'm representing my client. And those environments don't don't make me feel uncomfortable, don't bother me. But I will say that it definitely takes a certain kind of person. I've been in depositions where I'm the only woman and, and I'm a woman of color. And every person in that room is a man. And there's a certain way, you know, they, they deal with things and handle scenarios, you know, there's, you just have to maintain your composure, you have to be professional. And I think something to keep in mind, and I've had this happen, you know, where people, um, after the fact, after a case is settled, or I run into someone at some networking event, and they'll tell me, wow, you, you handled that very well, you were so professional, you were so cordial, but you were still a very zealous advocate. So I think those are things that you have to remember, you know, there's a time and place as to, you know, how to act, how to respond to scenarios that may be borderline uncalled for. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that ultimately, uh, you have to be a professional, this is a professional setting. And whether you're a man or a woman in the legal profession, your reputation will you know, carry throughout and you will run into these people uh, sooner rather than later. The, the legal community is a very, very uh, small community. Um, but I would encourage women definitely if they really want to uh, pursue law that they should. I have no regrets. I love what I do on a day to day. And like I said, it's important to to note that there are different positions um, that you can apply to as an attorney, um, to better fit your own personality and what you want out of life. Because another thing we have to keep in mind is that some positions are just going to be more demanding um, than others. And, you know, there's no one size fits all. And just because you become an attorney doesn't mean that you're going to be in adversarial environments on a day to day. There are options, and I would definitely encourage women to to apply. We need more women at the table. We really do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's such great advice too. Is thinking about, like you said, learning, you know, knowing yourself well enough to be able to figure out which environments you fit best in. Like you said, you can, you know, work at, you know, Warner Brothers or something, and be counsel there, or be in a you know, legal oriented role there versus, you know, being in the court every day or something like that. So figuring out, like you said, what, what types of positions within the legal field fit best with your personality and just how you, your presence, how you show up. Um, Cause like you said, I think, you know, certain people, they are, you know, it's like, it's not for the faint of heart and you have to be wired and have that backbone potentially to, you know, you know, manage challenging situations and things like that. So I think that's really great advice too, is, is allowing people take the time to figure out those cultures that fit best, you know, kind of with your personality and um, even career interests. Yeah. And another thing is that, uh, as I mentioned previously, for recent law grads, for example, this is something that you're not going to figure out on day one. You know, law school doesn't prepare you to be an attorney. Law school prepares you to pass the bar exam, right? Or 
So that's the goal because everything's about rankings and the bar passage rate upon graduating. So, so law schools are, their focus is for you to pass the bar. Now, what happens after that is, is really left up to you. And when you're going through the motions after you pass the bar exam, you're focused on getting a job, right? Because we all have bills, we have loans, and that's your focus. And oftentimes, you know, your first job is not where you're going to end up right? 10 years out. Um, If you're lucky, you get a job in whatever area or whatever sector you initially planned on, on entering. But yeah, usually it doesn't work out that way. So that's another thing that you're not going to know, you know, on day one, you'll take one job, and then you'll transition over to another. And then, you know, while you're going through the motions, you're going to find out, wait, I didn't like that. You know, I don't like taking depositions. I don't like, so let me you know, apply for that other job that sounds more appealing. And that's, you know, it eventually, I'm a a strong believer that everything always, in the end, it all works out. Yeah, yeah. It's like trial and error, right? Test, you know, test it out and figure out what works and what doesn't. And I've, I've said that too, to so many people, like figuring out what you don't want in trying different things is just as valuable as taking that job or that internship and being like, I love this. This is totally what I thought it was like, figure out the no's because it actually helps you get more clarity around what the yeses could be. I feel like so. Yeah. Um, so from reading your professional bio, I saw, you know, obviously your career, I would imagine is very demanding as a senior associate attorney. And on top of that, like I said, I saw that you sit on a number of different leadership boards and committees and volunteer your time outside of your day job. Um, additionally, you know, the media and articles sometimes that we read, can showcase, you know, a lot of aspects that maybe lawyers could be susceptible to in terms of like unhealthy work habits or, you know, more difficult work cultures and things like that. Given everything on your plate, how do you navigate and manage burnout? Um, I know that that's been a huge topic, I think, especially because of COVID has presented this new layer for all of us and, and zoomed out and all of that. But I'm curious with everything you're involved in, how do you stay motivated and find ways to give your best self to the work that you do? You bring up a very, very good point. I mean, especially in the legal profession, burnout is big, you know, and the legal profession is is demanding, it's challenging. And as I mentioned, the adversarial nature is emotionally draining, right? So you walk out of the office sometimes and you haven't slept well the night before, you're stressed about an upcoming meeting and you're still running through that to-do list um, that you haven't gotten to, right? So it's like piles up, it piles and piles and you're on the verge of having a panic attack sometimes. But so that's, a, that's like you said, it's, it's a reality, um, more so now that ev- than ever, as you mentioned, because of COVID. I've dealt with it a number of ways. So you're right. I'm very involved in the different boards. I've been involved with the LA County Bar, the California State Bar, the American Bar Association, the Southeast Bruins. I was very involved in that network for quite a few years. Um, I was president for two years and now I'm on the UCLA board. And you know, it it is a lot sometimes, but And I have friends tell me this, they say, how is it that you're able to do all that? Like, how does, how does that even 
even, how is it manageable? That's what I said when I looked at your LinkedIn, I was like, how does she do all this? <laughs> you know, I, I have to admit that for me, being involved gives me energy. It makes me come to life. If all I did was go to my job and work, I wouldn't be fulfilled. So I have to juggle those two things, right? So I need to be involved. I need to give back. I love attending networking events. I know some people say, oh my gosh, attending networking events, that's so draining. That's so exhausting. I can be running on four or five hours of sleep. And if I go to a networking event, I come to life. I get energy from people. Now, having said that, you're right. We're humans, we're not robots, and our body feels it. So the way I've been able to deal with it and cope with it is, you know, working out, getting enough sleep, having me time, whatever that may be, whether it's reading a book, whether it's just sleeping in, whether it's going to the beach, I love going to the beach. So I'll go to the beach for a walk for a run. I love nature, I'll go you know, on a hike. And I have to have to squeeze that in. Right now, for example, with COVID and everything going on, um, I have taken part in Zoom workouts from Monday through Thursday, from 8pm to 9.30pm, I work out with a few friends. And I have to calendar that. Because if I don't work out, or if I don't go for a walk, or if I don't go to the beach, it's just not going to work for me. So I think we have to be very conscious of that. We have to make time for ourselves, for our mental health. And like I said, that can mean you vegging on your couch, watching Netflix for three hours. That's what relaxes you. Maybe it, it's, you know, you playing with your dog or sleeping in, you know, on weekends. You just really have to identify that because it takes a toll. I've also had... People tell me, wow, Arcelli, you're so busy, but you always make it out to events. I've had friends tell me that because if I have a friend who's, and granted, this was before COVID, right? If I had a friend who was celebrating a birthday, if someone was having a wedding, a baby shower, a fundraiser, I will, 99% of the time, I will be there for friends. And I've had friends tell me, how do you do that? I appreciate that you're so busy, but you always make it out. So my answer to that is I make it out because it matters to me, because that brings me happiness, because that fuels me. So in a way, that's part of my mental health. That's part of me recharging too. I need to make time for that. Um, although I enjoy and I love being part of boards and, and um and I think it goes back to me giving back, right? Because I've always realized, what is the point, Araceli, of you, you know, going to law school and living in Sacramento, living in New Jersey, living in D.C., living in New York, living in London, having these four degrees, um, gaining all these, all the skill set, all these skill sets. What's the point of that if you just go to work and come back home? You need to think about the larger picture because there's always going to be someone who may be interested in pursuing um, a master's in public administration or a law degree or, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. So someone looking in may think, wow, I would love to know how she did it. 
But if I'm going from work back to my house, to what extent is that benefiting the greater good and, and future generations, right? So I think it's a, it's a thin, there's a thin line between giving back, being super involved, but always making yourself a priority. Because if we get sick, if we're stressed, if we have anxiety, we're of no, we're not going to be able to help anyone, right? We have to be the best version of ourselves uh, to give back. Uh, so I think that's that's very important. I think identifying what fuels you, what makes you happy. And how do you recharge? Um, so the second you identify that, you just need to make sure that you are you are uh, constantly going back to to make yourself whole once again to give back. Yeah, wow, that's I think that's it's so important. So much of what you said, I think people can take things away from and. Um, even, you know, even so much the point that making yourself a priority, but in that same vein, like you said, you know, making sure that those zoom workouts are on your calendar, right? Because if we just say, oh, I'm going to do it and we don't actually set aside that time, right. We're going to start working on that to-do list. And next thing you know, we're pulling up our inbox at 10 o'clock at night in front of the TV and working more versus okay, I'm going to read for a little bit, or I'm going to, you know, do yoga on, you know, do a yoga on YouTube or something like that. So, and I think, um, your point too, about, you know, even, you know, things like your friends events and gatherings and things like that with people you care about, you know, I think the point like that you mentioned of the things that matter that you will show up. I think that is such a great point too, because, you know, those are the things that will refuel us and being around the people we care about and support and love. That's what's going to keep us sane through the stressful times, right? Being able to lean on those people. And so by you investing, right. And having that reciprocal relationship and knowing, Hey, I'm here for you. You're here for me. And you can have those people to call and say, Oh my gosh, you know, work is crazy. You know? So I think that's such a, um, I think that's such a powerful message as well. So my final question is um, always our final question for our Bruin success interviews. Since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? You know, I think that success, I think, is what you define as success. You know, it's a very subjective answer. Um, what I define as success may not be what the next person defines as. And I also think it's important for people to keep in mind that success changes over the course of your life. You know, what success is to someone at the age of 22 is very different when you're, you know, in your late 30s. It's very different. And I think, um, you know, once people take on different roles professionally once they get married or have children or, you know, that the definition of success is, is bound to change. So for me, it's very much about, am I happy? Am I content? And am I fulfilled in my position today? And I think that's what everyone has to answer. You know, the second you answer that question, if you say yes, then you you are successful. I think we're all meant to be exactly where we are 
at each and every moment. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that. I think that life conspires to put you in whatever position you are and you have to make the best of it. You have to maximize and you have to keep in mind that, you know, five years from now, I may be in a totally different position. And if they, you get asked that question, I would hope that you say, I feel I'm successful uh, today. So I think people need to really, really keep that in mind. And for all those that are graduating right now, you know, with COVID and, you know, unemployment rates being so high and that's something that they need to keep in mind, you know, be flexible, be open, and you are successful. You just graduated from one of the best universities in the world. You are successful. You will be successful, successful going forward. Um, but you, you know, that is going to change over the course of the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, so, so keep that in mind. There's not one definition of success. And I think people also um, shouldn't compare themselves to anyone. I think sometimes we, and it's happened to everyone, people get bogged down with that, and especially when you're comparing yourself to someone that's your age, that graduated when you graduated. It may seem like they have it all figured out right? Oh, wow, they went to grad school immediately after graduating. And here they are, you know, with this job that from the outside in may look like the most amazing job out there. And then you compare your life to theirs and think, wow, you know, I, I haven't done anything. And, you know, people are too hard on themselves. And so I would say, don't do that. You are successful. There are different routes to success. That's another thing. Um, sometimes I, for example, didn't do that. I didn't do everything. My, my path was never linear. If anything, it was all over the map. It was, you know, there was people thought there was, <laughs> I had people tell me, wait, Ursula, so do you want to pursue law or do you want to go into the government sector? You know, going on here. It was never linear. But in my mind, I always thought, you know, there is a method to this madness. This is what I want. And I am happy and I am glad that this is the route I'm taking. And so as long as you're content with your decision making along the way, then that's all that matters. Because, you know, as cliche as this may sound, you know, the chips always fall exactly where they're meant to be. So People will be fine. People just need to trust the process, as they say, be optimistic and just keep chugging away. And it's all going to work out. But success, I think, definitely is, is a very subjective and fluid concept. And it really depends on where you are in life at that very moment when you're posing that question. Yeah, totally. Wow. No, I love your answer is just spot on. I loved your, I loved your answer to that. And, um, I think such a great, such an amazing point you bring up too, about how success changes over the course of your life, right? Like I think initially you think of these markers as like, Oh, making lots of money. Or there's certain things for all of us that, you know, Oh, that equals success. But as you go on in life, like you said, when you're 22, success looks much different than when you're maybe 42 and, you know, but it's because of those life experiences you've had, maybe you now like, you know, got married and you have a child and, you know, different things that 
hold different weight and value in your life and, and help define that, you know, like you said, contentment. And I agree. I think so much of success is that fulfillment. Like, am I happy? Am I content in, in where I'm at right now? Um, but I, yeah, I just loved every part of your answer and so many, so many things that I think people who are, are listening to your story can just, you know, resonate with that, those feelings. Well, thank you so much, Araceli, for our conversation today. I absolutely loved um, getting to know you and hearing your journey and your story and just, you know, the amazing ways that you've had that, you know, brewing spirit and optimism and the um, desire to give back and that passion ever since you stepped foot on UCLA's campus. So thank you so much um, for your time today in our conversation. And also, I really want to... Um, you know, take a moment to appreciate you for everything you do on our alumni association board. We're so grateful to have alumni like you serving on that board and, you know, moving the needle forward for the next generation of Bruins and making positive changes in, you know, at UCLA. So thank you so much for all the time you take um, as a part of that board to make UCLA a better place. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Araceli Almazan of Alvarez, Glassman, and Coleman. You can find more information on Araceli in the description of the episode. Follow Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we're back with another inspiring Bruin. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.